if you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 this morning, Romans chapter 8. There's a story in the Gospel of John. It's found in John chapter 8. It's a familiar passage and story to us. We're told that there is a group of Pharisees that bring before Jesus a woman caught in adultery. Everyone carrying stones with them, they stand before Jesus justified by the law to say that this woman is worthy of being stoned. And they wonder and they inquire of Jesus what he will do and what he will say and they're trying to trap Jesus and he's just drawing on the ground and I've always been curious as to what Jesus was drawing on the ground you know did he was he just making a smiley face like (laughs) what are you doing there Jesus we don't ever know that but we know what he says to them a group of people ready to condemn someone he says those who are without sin may cast the first stone And one by one, we were told, the people set their stones down and they walk away. And no one remained, just Jesus and this woman. And he says, you know, who's left? And there's no one left. There's no one left to condemn her. And he says, neither will I condemn you. And he says, go and sin no more. When we read in Romans chapter 8, we hear an impassioned plea from Paul to say that therefore there is now no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I think about the sum total of my life, I would say that there is a vast majority of it in which I um, have battled with God and I've often felt like Paul does just a few verses earlier in Romans chapter 7 when he says in verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that the good itself, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me as a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. 
What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? Who will rescue me? Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. I don't want to reread verses 14 through 20 because I got through it relatively on tongue twisted tied and got through it. But talk about, you know, making a funny statement. I don't I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do. I think I said that right. And I think that every single one of us can appreciate Paul's testimony in saying that there are things in our lives and the summation of our life is a culmination of things that we are not very proud of. And what Paul is doing battle with is the spirit that's within us that desires to seek the truth and love God and love others and do what's good and righteous and holy. And what what Paul is saying to the church in Rome and to each and every one of us several centuries later is that there is a spirit that is is at work in each and every one of us. We no longer need to be held captive to sin. And here's the, here's the lie that I've told myself. And maybe, maybe you've said something along those lines. But it's a really arrogant lie. And it's something along the lines of the sin that is against me is greater than God. The sin that I have done, the sin that is against me, the things that I've done and how I have fallen short is just a little bit too great. And what Paul wants to tell you in a very simple way, but he doesn't, you know, often make things too simple, but I want to make it simple for us this morning, is you're not that strong. You're not so strong to sin so great that God's love and forgiveness isn't all the greater. You're not so powerful to remove the power of God's love for you. And I don't know... Why do we have a hard time believing that? Just even saying it out loud, there are so many doubts in my own mind of saying, but God, if you, if you would remember all of these things. I don't know if you keep saying that, but what Paul is trying to say is there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yes, you have been doing the things that you don't want to do and you know better. That's the thing that's frustrating. It's like, dope, I know better than this. And Paul is saying, you are not condemned. And maybe this isn't the best hermeneutic of practices, but I would just invite you to find yourself in the story of the woman caught in adultery and standing before Jesus Christ. And what he would say to you is, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. And what Paul's invitation to us is, is to see the life that we have in Jesus Christ and His Spirit in us. That we no longer have to have a mind that is enslaved to sin, but we are set free through the blood of Christ. And we are set free to live a life according to the Spirit. Romans 8 is all about life in God's Spirit. 
God's Spirit alive in you. And He's saying you no longer live a condemned life, you live a life set free in Jesus Christ. And I know that you all know that. I'm not telling you anything that you probably don't already know and have lived and thought through. But every so often we need the reminder. We need a reminder that it's Christ's Spirit that's in us and is leading us. And it's Christ's Spirit that I'm to set my mind on. I'm not to set my mind on sin and sinful nature, but to set my mind and my heart on Christ and His Spirit. And so I have a very simple question, and the simple question is, are you listening to the Spirit? And each week I've simply asked you the question, are you open to the Spirit of Christ? I confess that my, my prayer life has changed since really studying and being a part of this series. I don't know that I quite know how to articulate it other than I'm talking to the Spirit a little bit more and asking for a little bit more of the Spirit's help and guidance and wisdom and discernment. If we go back a few sermon messages, I'm, I'm asking the Spirit that searches all things to start searching my heart, to know my anxiousness, to know all of the sins and all of the failures and know all of these things about me and start forming and shaping me into the image of Jesus Christ. I have my long list of wants, but I also just want to simply ask the Spirit, will you do a work on me and in my heart? Because I don't know about you guys, I'm tired of listening to the sinful nature. I want to listen to the Holy Spirit. I want to stop listening to the voices that say, I deserve this, or I should have that, or this will be good for me, when I know that it's not true. Are you tired of sin? Christians should be sick and tired of sin and earnestly longing for the Spirit of Christ. Do you desire Christ's Spirit? Are you opening yourself to His Spirit? Romans 8, Paul does, Paul does this thing, talking about groaning. And uh, I, honestly, in my, my sermon prep work, I was, uh, uh, I was reaching out to my sermon buddies. Uh, well, they're not just sermon buddies. They're preacher buddies. And I said, hey, guys, I need a groan-worthy joke to tell. And boy, they had some terrible ones. Um, but it was all a cheap ploy, honestly. It was a cheap ploy to get you to groan and then say, that's not the kind of groaning Paul was talking about. Um, so let's just pretend I did that. There were some really bad jokes, and they're not worth sharing. Um, uh, when Oliver wants to hear it. There's one about a chestnut in an open foyer. I'll tell it around Christmas time. Uh, but uh, uh, anyways, I'm derailed now. Thank you, Oliver. But uh, but Paul talks about Paul talks about all of us humankind groaning. And it's the groaning of people who are earnestly longing for something. And what they're groaning for is for God to make everything new. We are groaning 
all of the time. And I honestly have cried more in the last week and a half than I probably have uh, in the last couple of years combined. It's just so uh, broken uh, over... Um, not just my dad, I think that that like set me into an emotional mood and then to have uh, just, a, just a wonderful person, Sherry Johnson, uh, just a treasure to me, a person that um, you just knew you were loved. This so accepting and so gracious and so beautiful servant of God uh, to to die so quickly of uh, she had cancer and she overcame that first round but then uh, then she um, she was diagnosed with this aggressive cancer and it was less than a week and she had passed away there was a funeral yesterday you're right Oliver and um, and to to we weren't able to go I wanted to go but to see the testimony of her life in a room filled with people that she impacted uh, through her grace and her dignity, her love, her love for Christ and how she shared it with others. We groan. We groan over death, over disease, over all of the things that just don't, all of the injustice, all of the things that we see around us where it's like that just isn't right. We groan. And we cry out to God and we hope for something better. And Paul, he was writing to a group of Christians who were suffering because of what they believed about who Jesus was. But Paul has written to every generation of Christians who have felt an earnest longing to say, God, the world isn't as we want it to be, nor as it should be, and we know that a better day is coming and we're ready for it. And so we just start crying out and we just start groaning and we say, God, we want this to be made right. And we want your world to be made new. And we want your goodness to break in. And we don't want to live with this sin anymore. And just as Paul would cry out and say, what a wretched man I am, he would also say, and we would all collectively say together, what wretched people we are. And we want you. And we've had enough sin. And we've had enough brokenness. And we need something more. And we need you. And what Paul is saying, it's not just humankind that's groaning. He says that creation is also groaning. That all of creation is groaning and it is hoping for a new day. It is hoping for sin to be done away with. That all of creation is crying out to God. And then we are told it's not just humankind and it's not just creation, but it's also Christ's Spirit here among us that is also crying out to God. It is also groaning and also saying, God, please come and make this world new. All of creation, all of humankind, all of Christ's Spirit is crying out to God. It's crying out to God. It's saying, we've had enough. We've had enough of this brokenness, enough of this hurt. And then Paul tells us, and he reminds us, yeah, we're all complicit in the brokenness of this world. And we have all of this sin that might stand against us, but he reminds us that we are not condemned in Christ Jesus. And then he goes so far as to say to each and every one of us who would believe in Jesus Christ, 
If God is for us, who is against us? And he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, who will not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Verse 34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he is interceding for us. Who shall shall separate us? from the love of Christ. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Despite all of the things that might be against us, We are a people who hope in a new day. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Unless you should choose to reject Him. At the end of Sherry's funeral yesterday, you can expect that a preacher's wife would have, you know, good preaching at her funeral. And there was a powerful illustration that I felt would be an appropriate ending for my message. I want to say a thank you for the prayer and the support of what's been obviously a difficult week. When news arrived of Dad's impending need for surgery, news of someone dear to my heart like Sherry dying of cancer, and then also of Lowell Zentz, wonderful church member passing away. I think the word that I was looking for when some, when many of you asked me how I was doing this week, the word was overwhelming. But more and more I felt the comfort of Christ's Spirit each day. And we can all relate to a time in our lives when we have felt over, overwhelmed. Overwhelmed whether it was spiritually, mentally, emotionally, or physically. And if we felt like we couldn't go on. So my friend, Scott Manette, he shared this illustration at Sherry's funeral. And it comes by way of Gregory Fisher. He's a missionary to Africa. And so let us remain diligent and persistent until Christ's return. Let's remain faithful and rest our lives in Christ. And so to give you some encouragement in your life. I pray this is as encouraging to you as it was for me. Gregory Fisher was teaching a class. He was teaching on the book 1 Thessalonians. And he shared from 1 Thessalonians 4.16. And one of his students in his African, West African Bible College, one of his students asked this simple question. What will he say when he shouts. The question took me by surprise, Fisher says. 
I had already found that West African Bible College students can ask some of the most penetrating questions about minute details of Scripture. Reverend, 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says that Christ will descend from heaven with a loud command. I would like to know what that command will be. It's an honest question. What's the command that Christ will give? I wanted to leave the question unanswered to let him, uh, to tell him that we must not go past what Scripture has revealed. But my mind wandered to an encounter I had earlier in the day with a refugee from the Liberian Civil War. The man, a high school principal, told me how he was apprehended by a two-man death squad. After several hours of terror, as the men described how they would torture and kill him, he narrowly escaped. After hiding in the bush for two days, he was able to find his family and escape to a neighboring country. The escape cost him dearly. Two of his children lost their lives. The stark cruelty unleashed on an unsuspecting, undeserving population had touched me deeply. I also saw flashbacks of the beggars that I pass each morning on my way to the office. Every day I see how poverty destroys dignity, robs men of the best of what it means to be human, and sometimes substitutes the worst of what it means to be an animal. I am haunted by the vacant eyes of people who have lost all hope. Reverend, you have not given me an answer. What will he say? The question hadn't gone away. Enough, I said. He will shout enough when he returns. And a look of surprise opened the face of the student. What do you mean, enough? And he said, the Lord Jesus will say, enough suffering, enough starvation, enough terror, enough death, enough indignity, enough lives trapped in hopelessness, enough sickness and death and disease, enough time, enough, enough dads with heart disease, enough friends with cancer, enough brokenness and hurt in this world. Jesus will say, enough. I don't know if Fisher's guess as to what Jesus will shout upon his return is accurate. But I like the thinking. I could imagine Jesus saying, enough. It's coming, a glorious day in which Scripture itself tells us and to encourage one another. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We are still living when the Lord's return will not meet him where when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever.
So encourage each other with these words. Whatever it is that Jesus shouts, His return will be the end of sin in all of its horrible works on God's creation. And all of the groaning will stop. And the Lord will be with us forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we look forward to the day, and we hope in the day, that you say, enough is enough. God, we've known deep within ourselves that we've had a place in the breaking down of your world. That we've contributed in sin and brokenness. But we know that that's not the story we've been adopted into now. That you invited us to be your children. And you've broken down the wall of sin and brokenness God, you've welcomed us to be your children. God, you want us to be a people filled with hope. Hope for a better day. Hope for a day with you. Where your world is made new. And those who have gone before us will be with us. And most importantly, you will be with us as well. Let us hold on to this hope of salvation in your Son. We turn to you, God, and we thank you and we praise you. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name. Amen. As the worship team comes forward, I would simply ask that you consider how you might be a part of God's story and be adopted and made new in Jesus Christ to embrace this new life that we have in Him. And friends, as we go forth today in celebrating life, celebrating friends, we remember that Christ is our hope, and He goes with us. Let's stand and sing.